You're listening to the Hard Men Podcast, reclaiming biblical masculinity in a world of softness. Hi there, uh, my name is Katie, and um, I just have a question for you guys. If your pastor Brian is telling women, you know, to keep their clothes on and, you know, everything like that. I hope he keeps his pants on because I'm sure, you know, he's out with a bunch of women or probably other men. <laughs> he looks like he's gay. Um, so, yeah, tell him to keep his pants on and, and don't be an idiot. Bye-bye. <laughs> Welcome to the Hard Men Podcast, everybody. My name's Brian Sauvet. And since I now have more followers than Eric Kahn, I legally own this podcast. You have legally taken over <laughs> yes. this podcast. Yeah, it's, an L- it's a, 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 a little known law concerning LLCs this in the United States. Podcast. I now own this, this podcast. Is now, that's kind of like the ultimate king move, Brian, really. It really is. King Energy, I'm, I'm taking glad your you podcast from you. I yeah. think it's well-deserved, it's yeah. well deserved, Thank though. you. Thank you. I appreciate that, Eric. I'm also the co-host of the Hard Men <laughs> Podcast, and I'm joined by Eric Kahn. Eric Kahn. I'm actually not. Am I? Am I the guest on this podcast? <laughs> well, Why is he here on my podcast? <laughs> I'm a guest on my own podcast. You are a guest on your own podcast. Actually, the the the, the image guy on the front is now going to change. More mustache. More mustache. Yep. Yep. That's, that's that's what I like to see. So, guys, one of the reasons we're we're here together today is because of voice messages like these. So this was. Yep. Left at the church, is that right? That's right. Yeah, it's left at the church. So, Dan, I want you to set us up here just, just very quickly. What, why, why is this lady calling the church? Yeah, so um, my name is Dan Burkholder, by the way. I'm the executive pastor, co-pastor with uh, the esteemed Brian Sauve, who is now apparently some form of a celebrity. But usually people love celebrities. <laughs> so I don't know what to call him. Just put an IN in front of famous and you got Brian, it. Brian, uh, do you want me to tell the funny story? I'm oh, going to yeah. tell the funny tell story. Tell the funny so, story. So uh, Brian and I both have uh, space heaters because our offices are in a basement of a 90-year-old church and it's freezing. Very cold. And there was a gentleman that was doing some work in the basement and it tripped the breaker right as Brian was about to send a massive 30-tweet thread mm-hmm. was it really 30 tweets it was like 25 minutes of work 30 tweets it was super Whoa. long and so brian texts me he's like oh man that just deleted all of my tweets so i just shot something spicy from the hip and yep. then history was made because yes he's now had over 30 million people see that spicy tweet from the hip 30 30 million people yeah so yeah. it, it's interesting. We're going to talk about the tweet. We'll read it here in a second. I, I'm calling it the tweet heard around the world <laughs> uh, because it was it was that big of a deal. So some of the people and organizations that got involved, Brian, there were a lot of blue check marks. A lot, which you know, if they have a blue check mark, what that means is that you need to respect and listen to them about almost any subject matter. Yeah. So that includes Adidas, the clothing brand. Was mm-hmm. it Adidas UK? Yeah, in see, I lived in the UK for a couple of years, and they have always been much more comfortable with full frontal nudity in their public media. So it was Adidas UK. Yeah, so there was lots of uh, breasts on display for the oh. uh, Adidas ad. We had uh, the Daily Wire, we had Blaze, we had the New York Post, mm-hmm. all of which did articles about this tweet. Not the B. Not the B. Every everybody was really jumping in on this, but. Before we get into the tweet and what's going on, I thought this was a good time to talk about a new podcast we're doing regarding holy troublemaking 
and cultural engagement. So, Brian, would you start by telling me about that new podcast venture? That's right, Eric. We are starting the King's Hall podcast with featuring, I should say, not with, featuring Eric Kahn, Daniel Burkholder, and Brian Sauvet. And it is going to be so much fun. You'll be able to hear it. We really stepped things up in terms of the timeline (laughs) because of this moment. But what, are we like a week out? Yeah, we're a week out. We're going to launch next week. Uh, So we'll have website, podcast. You can find us. We'll, of course, be providing more information. Uh, But you can find us on Spotify, iTunes. Really, it's funny, though, Brian, because we were talking about sort of backing into this deal. We'd been planning this for a long Mm -hmm. time, and then we thought, Dan, what better moment than right now? It's a bunch of free marketing. Yeah, that's right. When, When the sun's up, make hay. That's right. That's right. So we're jumping into the new podcast. I, I just want to ask you guys, what are some of the content that you expect to be addressing? We've had some Latin attached to our namesake, the King's Hall. And um, just kind of, I guess, Dan, talk to me a little bit about some of the themes. What is this podcast going to be about? Yeah. It, it, well, I mean, in the name, it, it encapsulates quite a lot of the, the theme. Being in the King's Hall, we are King's men. Obviously, the Lord Jesus is King. And what it is, is is brothers encouraging other men and women of the kingdom to take dominion Christianly in all spheres of life. And so that's going to be the main thrust. I'm sure Brian will have some sort of like clever slogan or something like that. Always, He is a master with words. Uh, I mean, so much so that. I'm, Beth Moore comes out to play <laughs> oh, man. Other, other people. Yeah, she Since does. old Bethy Moore was a tweet in my way. I think that's a song, Brian. That's a song. It is. It, let's forget about that. Let's not let's talk about that anymore. Let's forget about the song. Yes, that's right. The King's Hall podcast. We're going to be talking about a whole lot of things. We will be talking about uh, a lot of things in the, in the category of what you might call the Boniface option, which is not necessarily a phrase that we coined, but, but really I think captures... A lot of the ethos and uh, pathos of how we believe the Bible would have us, as Christian men, engage the world, build culture, and uh, attack, po- basically poke the idols of the day in both eyes as an evangelism strategy and as a, a culture-building strategy. Yeah, and it's interesting because, I mean, un- not necessarily what we were, or you were trying to do, I guess, with that tweet in particular— but it does highlight one of the strategies that we're going to be embarking on, the holy troublemaking, really taking things on the offensive. Um, and we'll dig into that in this show. But one of the th- things we've seen culturally from Christians is let's kind of retreat, yeah. right? Let's, let's not offend people. Um, and, and the way we do cultural engagement, uh, a la Tim Keller, is like, look, Stephen Colbert sharing the gospel. Yeah. And, and <laughs> Tim even said, I'm going to ask this question later in the show, but Tim even said, you know, cultural engagement should be the kind that the world can stomach, right? Mm. That's, that's the antithesis of what we're trying to convey with cultural engagement, I think, in our, in our new show. Yeah, that's right. You, you don't, we're not looking for overlap culturally where, hey, we're in agreement 80% or 60% about some ethical issue with the non-Christian, and then we're just going to sort of try to get that from We'll move that to 62% by the end of our conversation. And then maybe we'll slowly convince you. And hey, maybe you'll convince us of some stuff along. And we'll just have a great time along the way. But it's, it's just simply not. The, that's not how it works. Even, even in the areas of apparent overlap, we have 
down at the foundations, down at the pilings driven into the bedrock of our worldview, differences that make those overlap, they might be apparent overlap, but they're not real. No, and if you, I mean, we're Christians, and so we were enemies of God, and he purchased us, made us blood-bought sons. We're now sons of the king, and we owe him fealty, and we're to walk then like Christ walked. And Christ was so winsome that they crucified him. Yeah, I think, I think Dan, that's a really good word for what our new podcast is going to be, winsome and nuanced. Much like Brian's tweet. <laughs> I, think, I think it's going to be nuanced for sure. For, for sure. And if you don't know we'll that see. by now in this podcast, especially, but in the King's Hall too, mm. we're about winsomeness and nuance. So Brian, right. speaking of which, I, I want to read the tweet now. I'm ready. So this is the tweet heard around the world. Dan, do you, in your beautiful voice, do you want to read this for me? Sure. This is from Brian Sauvé, uh, love letter, actually. Dear ladies, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have said that. (laughs) Dear ladies, there is no reason whatsoever for you to post pictures of yourself in low-cut shirts, bikinis, bra and underwear, or anything similar, ever. Not to show your weight loss journey, not to show your newborn baby, not to document your birth story, your brothers. Your brothers. Brian, one of the things about this tweet is, it was it was taken really well, obviously by a lot of people. Yeah, a lot of I well, I mean, for me, a lot of people did take it well. So, so what I want to ask you: some of the stats here before we unpack some of the responses in particular. Yeah. Uh, point to some of the stats. What is this post doing right now? Yeah. So, since the post got, has gone up, that tweet alone, just about maybe an hour ago, passed 24 million impressions. Wow. Well over a million engagements, you know, hundreds of thousands of profile visits. Um, I've been followed by around 5,000 people, more, you know, added to my followers list. And analytics that I, I still think are actually about half a day behind because they're a little bit slower for the overall, but over 30 million impressions because I've tweeted it a whole lot of things since then. Right. And uh, those have also... All apologies, right? All apologies. Everyone, I called Joe Rogan. I said, Joe, teach me how to do it. <laughs> teach me he how said, to do it. Joe. He said, I can do it. I can do that for you, Brian. <laughs> we're, we're pretty close. But yeah, so uh, yeah, over 30 million. I, I, I'm expecting by the time that the tail end comes for, for around 50 million 50 people million. to have seen something related to that tweet. That's crazy. So it's trending number one on Twitter for maybe six hours in the U.S. Yeah, when you uh, you guys were texting me, mm. and I was in another state at the time, work travel, and uh, I saw that it was number one, and I was like, no. <laughs> and I looked, and it's Dear Brian. Dear Brian. Dear Brian, right, is the... Uh, <laughs> that was the trending phrase. At one point, it just it changed to just Brian, <laughs> and then it went back to Dear Brian. That's right. So one of the things that happened was a lot of vulgarity. Um, the, the mm-hmm. thing that I noticed when, when I first learned about the tweet and it was really taken off, uh, again, we were texting about it. I, I wasn't surprised, but it was like, holy cow, everybody's responding in the tweet thread with basically semi-nude to complete, you know, whatever, debaucherous pictures of themselves. Mm-hmm. The, the first thought I had about that was, why do they think that is sticking it to the patriarchy by, by revealing their shame? Stop objectifying us. <laughs> we can do it ourselves. <laughs> You're right. We don't need your help, patriarchy. Right. So, 
one of the questions I had, and, and either one of you can jump in here on this, but as you start to unpack this issue, it, it's funny what God did through the whole thing because they think they're slamming you. Mm-hmm. You've got Barstool Sports, you know, a bunch of people making fun of you. But what is it ultimately doing? What is God doing in this moment? Okay, let's talk about that. Because this is my favorite part of the whole thing, is that just the story that, that God is writing. God, if you're listening to this podcast and you're not aware, God is sovereign over all things. I mean, Ephesians 1 makes it clear. It uses the word all things. I mean, he's sovereign over all of them. So Even, even tweets. Even tweets. He's sovereign over the, the movement of every molecule, every thought. He's sovereign. He's king. And so one of the first things that hit me as this is all unfolding is just, this is a story that God seems to really love to tell. Yeah. It's a story where, like Esther, where Haman ends up hanging on his own gallows, right? Or it's a story like the cross where death ends up hanging on its own cross and Jesus walks away alive, right? Where God uses the outrage of the enemies and even their own strategy in an ultimately self-defeating way, where they, they ultimately turn out to be a parody of themselves. They, they will defeat themselves all by themselves. We're, we're Gideon and his, you know, soldiers with our clay pots filled with candles, uh, shouting, you know, blowing our trumpets around their camp at night, and then they all kill themselves, you know, kill each other in fear. It, it's just, to me, that's the whole narrative so far. Could be summed up like that. Yeah. Uh, Dan, as you're looking at it, what were some of the, I guess, some of the news stories? Where did it show up? And anything in particular that struck you about the responses? Yeah, I mean, it showed up in quite a few places. The New York Post was pretty early to pick it up. Yahoo had asked Brian for a comment. And oh, as interesting. The, as the executive pastor, um, I've had some training from some guys that were a part of a controversial church back in the day that told me, don't talk to the media. Yeah. Just, yeah, don't do it. And so we had Yahoo. Uh, we had uh, The Blaze. That was another one. Blaze, Independent, The Daily Mail. Uh, I, had a, I did a, an interview on a Canadian radio station the night that it happened with a homosexual gentleman. Not the Mari. Not the B picked it up. So. Which was a good article. If you want to read a good article, that was a good one. Mm-hmm. You know what the responses? It is really interesting you bring up this, this whole inconsistency with the unbeliever saying, don't objectify me, smash the patriarchy. Here, I'm going to display myself in the nude for Brian. Sending, I'm Literally send to me. you naked pictures of myself through direct messages or for everybody to see. So anybody that says, oh, that's not actually happening, all you have to do is just open it. Well, but Christian bros, don't yeah. open it. Adi does. I mean, Adidas, they have 4 million followers. They literally did it publicly. Like nobody even has to check my DMs. And the DMs, just for the record, the way that my settings are, if I follow somebody, they can send me a message. If not, it's a message request. And those are automatically censored by Twitter. So I can see the text, the preview. And then usually based on that preview alone, I know whether to block and delete or it's sincere. And just from the previews, you know, it'll say like this person sent you a hit, some hidden media. And it'll say something like, you had five kids. Would you like a sixth? Or um, I know no. you have a... No real story. That was one of them. What? I know you have a, uh, you know, a huge hidden hard drive full of pornography, Pastor Brian. So here's some more from your collection that I took yesterday. And so I deleted all of them, blocked all of them. I'm, 
utterly uninterested in in all of that. But yeah, it's been hundreds. I mean, it's just shocking to me though that that is the response. What it shows me is that they don't have a response. They know that they're condemned, whether they they consciously know it or not, because there is no tool in which they can legitimately fight back. They've been disarmed, and that was one of the things that Christ did on the cross: is he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame. And for some reason, these people are so debased in mind that they're actually shaming themselves Mm -hmm. by exposing their own nakedness Mm. to the person that they hate. This makes utterly no sense whatsoever. Completely debased. Doesn't make any sense. Yeah. And we haven't even started talking about the intelligence of some of the responses or the inability to think, but you just see the rage or this mob mentality and that's the thing that they decided to do is just pile on with those sorts of that's that's the tool that they have that's the only tool they have yeah it's interesting because um it, it reminds me of like reading in the book of acts for example um there's all these instances where paul is before a crowd and you know not saying the winsome nuance thing he'll say the thing that's least popular and he knows is going to set them off and and sometimes it, he often plays the crowd so if he's got Pharisees and Sadducees, he says, well, the reason I'm on trial is because of the resurrection. Like he yeah. knew that was going to set them off. Yep. Um, but it's interesting too, because Paul really used that to his advantage. Crowds and mobs tend to be pretty stupid, I mm-hmm. think is the problem. Yep. Um, one of the things that I noticed in, in all the comments was, you know, it's, it's not surprising, but there were not arguments being made. You know, people aren't making rational arguments. And I get that from the culture. But it's also also just a little surprising sometimes the number of Christians that are in there who are right alongside the world. In fact, a lot of the blue check marks um, who are in the Christian camp, Big Eva camp, Beth Moore chimed in again. Yeah. Um, they're lockstep with the world. So I, I just wonder if you would respond to that. Why do you think that's going on in the church? I know we talked about it in past episodes, but why is the church just almost one-to-one parallel with the world on this issue? Yeah, I, I think that what we talked about a moment ago with respect to the King's Hall podcast, the Boniface mentality uh, as, a, as a key sort of ethos when you approach the culture is something that they, they completely don't get and they, they do the inverse. So Beth Moore is a, a good example where she's hopping in and, and you know there's a bunch of public outrage amidst these either liberal Christians, a portion, but then just a lot of Pagans, liberals, unbelievers, literal emo goth witch ladies, all porn stars, all yeah. you know, reporters. But I repeat myself. So, <laughs> and she, she says, you know, this. She she basically said, "How can I score points with my base?" And you can always tell a lot about who somebody is aiming for by what kind of base they're trying to stir up. Well, what is what what base was Bethy Moore aiming for? She says, dude, there's no world in which we ever want to see the word bra from you again. Mind your own unders. And she's referencing a previous interaction that we had, her and I, about modesty some months ago. And it's like, what, what base is that trying to gain points with? Well, it's a really interesting question, actually, because like you think about Beth Moore and a lot of these other people, Tabidi Anwabile the other day, saying, I no longer want to be called evangelical. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, Mark, Mark Driscoll really did the same thing you know, rejecting Calvinism. I think what's happening with a lot of these people actually, and like Beth Moore is one of them, I think she realizes she basically got forced out of the SBC. 
Mm. Right. She's on the run. She realizes that the conservative Christian realizes she's not a conservative Christian. Yeah. She's pro woman pastor. She's, you know, setting the words of Paul and Jesus against each other. So I think, correct me if I'm wrong, I want to hear your thoughts on it. I think what they realize is look, we lost that base and we're trying to capture another one. And they're perfectly happy to be playing that card of, you know, anti modesty. Oh, yeah. I think. It's a highly grifter pragmatism that Mark Driscoll and Beth Moore share, which would be like make people's head explode to compare those two because, you know, most Mark Driscoll haters are also a lot of them are Beth Moore lovers, but same principle. Yeah. They they follow the same principle where they, they play to a base that they can monetize and that they can gain a lot of followers and clout from, you know, Gabe Hughes over at when we understand the text did a video where he, put out an extended clip of Beth Moore from about 2008 teaching at a women's conference, I think it was. And she was saying some of the most based things about modesty I've ever heard. She was way more aggressive than my tweet. Really? She was saying, ladies, put your boobs away. She was saying, we all know what you're doing. You're trying to use your bodies to gain power over our husbands. Basically, go home. I mean, Beth Moore. This was 2008. That was her base. And she had thousands of women applauding and following her and buying her books and her Bible studies. Well, just like Mark Driscoll in 2011 was saying Calvinism, 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 you know, buy my books, buy my books, buy my books, monetizing this audience. But as he loses the favor of that audience, when some of the real, you know, the chameleon colors sort of fade away and they realize who this person really is, then they just shift and they get They go to a new base. And they pander to that new base and they try to monetize that new base. And that's what Marky Mark did. So Bethy Moore did. It's a tale as old as time. So Brian, what would you say to someone that's accusing you of doing the same thing? You're trying to gather followers, get a base. Yeah. And I've heard just being overtly controversial. Your Mm. tone is atrocious and the content (laughs) is offensive. And you have a Patreon. Are you a white supremacist? no, I am white and I am supremely handsome, I which rhymes with no. <laughs> I rest my case. I am a part of the cis hetero patriarchal hegemony. So, so what are However, you trying to do with your, with your Twitter? And, and that's a, that's a very fair question because, and I almost brought this up. It came to mind, like, because you can tell somebody, you can tell a lot about somebody based on what base they're trying to talk to and, and even ring in harmony with. Right. And, that's a universal principle. That's also true of me. When I tweet, it's, it should be obvious over time. What audience is this guy trying to talk to? And what do you find? I'm trying to talk to generally reformed and Protestant Christians who believe the whole Bible, have no problem passages, intend to attempt to obey it by grace and through faith to the glory of Christ's kingdom. That's the group I'm trying to reach. And generally alongside of that, there's a burgeoning recovery of biblical patriarchy that would include guys like Mike Foster, Michael Foster and, and Eric and, and, and I would say, you know, this table here and, and others. And uh, we're a part of that. Th- those are the people we're speaking to. It's, it's a not whether but which thing. It's not whether or not you're going to try and speak to and identify with some tribe. It's just, is that tribe godly? Is it the kind of tribe that would arise from a community aiming to obey the Lord Jesus Christ? And I believe that that that's what we're doing. So you can't just throw it back. And, and even the monetization things like, yeah, I have a Patreon. It, it, I spend money doing music. I put a lot of time into it. The workers worthy of his wages. All of that's true. Money's not bad. 
it's not the mere fact that Beth Moore sells books and makes money. It's that I don't believe Beth Moore fundamentally actually believes much at all. Or Mark Driscoll or these kinds of people. I believe that they're essentially grifter charlatans who are using people to just extract money from them. It's Ezekiel 34. It's the, yeah. the Pharisees. It's, it's that. Yeah, it's fundamentally, I, I think, kind of the mindset you get when you're, you're a brand ambassador, you're a brand marketer. You don't actually care about any of the truth. It's very, you know, sophistry. That's mm-hmm. sort of same approach of, well, I'm going to say whatever makes us money. And I think that would be the difference. Like, I'm in the same camp. I know that I'm speaking to mainly reform Protestants, but I'm not saying it because I think I'm going to get their favor. Right. I'm saying it because I actually believe it's true. Yep. So this, this kind of leads to one of the questions I want to ask, which at the heart of this, right, it's about modesty. We had podcasts before. We've been talking about modesty for a long time. I didn't come to my position because I thought it was culturally cool and was going to win me friends. Right. I came to my position because I was reading scripture, I was studying scripture, and I thought that the inescapable reality was that we're supposed to keep our nakedness covered. Yeah. My question for you guys is, why is this such a huge issue? Because clearly, we went and tipped over the idol in the town square. Yeah. Probably urinated on it. They, they felt that we did. They felt that we yeah. did. Like, this is the cultural engagement of poking the altar in the eye. Yeah. But, but again, why is this issue so big? Mm. Yeah, I think one of the reasons it's so big, and I, I'm sure I, I wanted to ask Brian, but the uh, target for his tweet is that base that you're talking about. Oh, that original tweet? Yeah, the original tweet about modesty. The, the reason it came Ladies. to mind is because I've seen many people in my tribe. See, this is the thing. The modesty discussion isn't convenient for us. It's pastorally costly. When we say publicly things like women you should wear more dresses you should dress femininely and modestly you should co- be covered from generally in collarbone to knees you should not wear hyper tight pants and leggings as pants you guys the, the, they're they're sheep in our congregation who need to hear that we're, we're leading real people yeah and a lot of the times the cost is those people being angry maybe leaving the church so so this isn't like convenient grifter stuff this is pastoral theology 101 so why is, why is it hard to do then? Why is it inconvenient? Back to Eric's question, wh- even in our own camp, why is it hard to do that? When you can say, hey, men, you guys are looking at porn. You need to get a job. You need to oh, do yeah. this. You need to do that. You're a worthless human being, and there's so much more glory <laughs> for you if you just stand up, straighten your spine, and, and get to work and, and be self-controlled. And men, nobody's going to complain about that. No. So why yeah. is it? that it's hard to say, hey, ladies, don't wear yoga pants to church. Yeah, and I'm, that is such an insightful question because what it does is it shows this fundamental reality that the waters of culture come out of the, over the threshold of the temple mm. and, and it gets deeper as it goes. Like, you know, I heard Pastor Toby Sumter a while ago say, and, and I've heard Doug Wilson say this as well, the church put women in pulpits long before the U.S. Air Force put women in the cockpit of F-35s or F-16s. Even if it was just effeminate men. Yeah, even if it was just that. <laughs> That's right. <clears throat> so, but this really shows that this is an issue that starts with the church, with the culture of the church, because the answer to that question, actually, if you study just the first three chapters of Genesis, you would start to come into an, an understanding of what's happening there. When you tell men very directly, 
men and you respect them enough, you look them in the eye, you say, be a glory. Pornography's gay. It's effeminate. Stop doing that. Repent. Follow the Lord Jesus. He's a good king. Men are wired to want to honor and respect godly, masculine, glorious leadership. It's why all of us watch King Aragorn, Elisar, the Elfstone, and we look, I'm going to stop, and, and we look at him and we say, yes. We look at Theoden on the Battle of the Pelennor, on the fields of Pelennor, and he's giving his speech, and they're all yelling, death! Men, when they hear firm, hard, uh, authoritative charges from respectable men, they are wired to want to follow it. Actually, the Barstool Sports guys yeah. revealed that when they started to read my thread for the first time on the air. It like turned into a war crowd. All of a sudden, they were like, yeah, and they were making fun of me on some level, but it, it betrayed a a subcurrent of a reality there of masculine reality. Those are red blooded men on the, on the barstool podcast. You know, they're not, they're, they're deeply effeminate in a lot of ways because they're porn watching sexually perverted losers. Okay. So they're deeply effeminate. They need to repent and bend the knee to Christ. And I hope they're listening. But when you get into the way that the curse of sin landed to the man and the woman, you answer the question of why women are so mad when past, Mm. when men tell them, repent because her desire is over the man, but he will rule over you. Okay. And, and that's directly talking about marriage and the hierarchical relationship within marriage of submission and, and leadership. And it's basically saying, here's what sin is going to do to the feminine soul. It's going to make you ladies want to throw off all authority. Okay. So anywhere you find godly authority, in the, in, the home, in the self, in the home, in the state, or in the church, you will also find women attempting to subvert that authority through sneaky and passive-aggressive means or overt means, and we saw both in, my, in response to my thread, and you will see extraordinary amounts of anger and bitterness and, and anxiety when they see a man actually coming in and loving them enough to say, ladies, stop. Because the reason I tweeted this was because I'd seen lots of ladies in my tribe Posting, you know, alongside their birth stories or glorious, glorious things to celebrate, but they, they might include a picture of them holding the baby after the birth. And I'm not even, I'm not exaggerating where I've seen like full breasts. Yeah. And, 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 I, and I'm wanting them to think about, you know, okay, glorious, glorious occasion. Who is it for though? Who should see that? Your husband. Your husband. Yeah. And midwife. And, you know, there's going to be people in the room, but yeah. You don't put that in the to the to the internet, ladies. That's who I was talking to. Yeah, and then a bunch of non-Christian ladies heard me say that because it's a public square, and they hate authority, especially male authority, because of Genesis three. Well, it's, it's interesting to me because in Genesis, uh, this is what fathers do: Adam and Eve, they sin, they fall, and and they put on as one Old Testament professor I had said they put on you know leaf g strings. Mm-hmm. And he says it's not enough. So the, the fatherly role is to cover that nakedness. Oh, yeah. Good point. And then in the, in the new covenant, even head coverings are tied to a husband's authority. Yeah, the, the covering so, of glory. Yes, that's right. So coming under a father or a, a husband means covering up in general. You know, we, we could agree on that from scripture. But I think it's tied like these women wanting to reject authority, Dan. They, when they're rejecting clothing, they're rejecting authority. Those two things are tied together. Yeah, that's really insightful. I hadn't connected it with the curse in Genesis, but it makes perfect sense at the the level of shrieking that has happened yeah. from the women around this. But Eric, I want to get your insight 
specifically on all of the men. What is going on? The simp and the white knight and the... Yeah, what is going on with all these dudes that are jumping in and saying no? We have to talk about Kyle J. James Howard at some point. Yeah, Let's just put yeah. a pin in I that. Have, I actually have the tweet up <laughs> Okay, on my good. Phone, so. Praise the Lord. So, But I want to get your insights because you're an expert in men. <laughs> and so what is the instinct of these dudes coming to the defense of having women wear no clothes? What is going on? Yeah, I think the big thing is that they've been trained in an effeminate culture. That the way that you score p- points with this, you know, female-led audience is that you show up in, in whatever sphere they're in and you defend their honor, quote-unquote, even though they're acting like whores. Whores don't have honor. That's just, they're not honorable in an honor culture. But that's what these guys are trying to do. It reminds me in college, um, I had to cover it for the paper. Somebody thought it would be cool to torture the Christian guy and send him as a beat reporter to cover the feminist alliance. So I used to great co- assignment. Yeah, I know. I used to cover the feminist alliance, and uh, I'd show up, and the only dudes that would show up to the feminist alliance meeting, which you know it's mostly women. Yeah, they were either gay dudes or they were the guys who were trying to score with the feminists. Mm-hmm. And so they'd be like, "Oh, you're so right. You're so right." Well, it's it's it, we've we've trained women to make sex is power. It's commodification. Right. It's a currency. That's and right. So they're they're trying to barter in the economy. Yes. That, that sin is made. Yeah, that's exactly right. And so I think there's a lot of guys who figured out or they think they've figured out that they can basically, um, you know, barter sex, fornication, whatever. I think for a lot of other guys, though, let's face it, a lot of these guys are losers. They're never going to have sex with women, least of all these women. But what they really want to do is feel good about themselves. Right. This is really what it comes down to. I'm going to pat myself on the back and say that I was a they want to be a redeemer, but they're going to do it in this fake faux way. That's right. Yeah. So that's really what white knighting is about. You're not actually killing the dragon and getting the girl. Yeah. The reality is guys like the barstool sports guys. Yeah. Who are, if they listen to this, they're going to be so arrogant about me saying this, but those guys are generally alphas. Like they've achieved their, they've got fame, power, glory, yeah, money, success. Yeah. You know, I'm sure some of them are really sportsy and whatnot. So they probably go to the sports-y. gym a lot. Sport, sports, <laughs> sporters. Athletic, athletic. There you go. <laughs> yeah, you know, and and if the studies are very clear, when we look at the pagan landscape of of sex and the the econ the sexual economy, that very few men at the very top are having most of the sex are having the vast majority of this sex that's happening out of wedlock. In fact, people in general are having less sex than ever. Yes, teenagers, teenage sex, way down. Because these alpha men have figured out the economy and what they've done is they've created an evil patriarchy where they go out and like stud bulls, they go through the herd and these women don't realize that what they're doing is they're giving away all of their actual honor and dignity. And so this one man might sleep with a hundred women. And, and a lot of the, the white knight men are trying to get to break into that economy through simping, yeah, it, it won't work. It, it really, this is what they call the friend zone. Like it just doesn't, it won't work for them. And then while there are a few alpha guys who are like, they, they're really in the background going and, and winning all, all of the girl. And the whole thing is totally animalian. It's totally inglorious. It's like they're offended by this glorious Christian sexual ethic where at, virtually every man and woman barring God's providence 
is, you know, intended to get married, have kids, yeah, have a glorious, fruitful sexual relationship with his wife and be, you know, sex multiple times a week. <laughs> like, and instead, most men are incels, involved, involuntary celibates. Yeah, that's exactly It's right. the landscape that sin has made. And it all, like, not to repeat myself, it just, it all goes back to Genesis. It's like, what would you expect in a culture where sin reigns? Yeah, and it, it's really interesting to me too because so so to answer Dan's question, you really have a different a couple different groups of guys mm-hmm. jumping in on the bandwagon. Like the barstool guys were not like defending the honor of women so much as <laughs> the, <laughs> the, the abasement of women, um, which is the alpha guy thing to do, yeah. like for, further objectify. Then you have the white knights who you know they're doing their thing, they're trying to defend the honor, whatever. Um, but but it's really interesting. I remember uh, hearing as a teenager. I don't remember, uh, it was an interview with somebody who was like a former porn star. And she said that after going through that experience and just being so exposed to over-sexualization and objectification, she said she had completely lost the desire to get married, to have sex at all. Mm -hmm. Sex was completely repulsive. I think it's the same thing for men. You know, we have this rampant addiction with pornography. And so men, like you have like 20-year-old guys who are like, coming to you as a pastor saying, you know, Hey, I I'm impotent. Mm-hmm. You know, I need to be on erectile dysfunction medication at the, in the twenties. Yeah. They have porn induced erectile dysfunction. So it, it's crazy. Like you get into all this stuff. It seems cool. We're just going to show bare naked women all the time, but it, it really culturally backfires. Does it not? Yeah, it definitely backfires. And, and the thing is, especially with like, so, so you have these men that do desire to have sex. They want to be the alpha guy. They, they don't have the tools to do it. And really all of it is, is the desire to win, to, to have virtue, yeah. to be the virtuous guy in a way. And that sounds really strange, but the virtuous guy kills the dragon, gets the girl. Yeah. Right. Like that's displays courage and everything like that. And what these white knights have been trained to do is to show Virtue in essentially taking on feminine qualities and becoming like women in order to be amongst women. And it has a reverse effect. Why is it that the, the guy who's the jerk gets the women? It's because his mission doesn't matter. It doesn't change. Yeah, the woman Which doesn't matter to his mission. Comes along. No, yeah. it doesn't. He, he doesn't the need her. Woman is not the mission. Mm-hmm. And that's what women end up being attracted to. And so these, these, it's in every man. They want to be courageous. They want to have virtue, even if they've tried their best to kill it. And I don't know if we set the context for the Barstool Sports podcast. We've referenced it a couple of times. Yeah. But oh yeah, Barstool, Barstool Sports, they, they did a podcast where Brian Sauvet was the idiot of the week. Mm-hmm. And Wait, I don't- You were the, the idiot of the week? I think that it was like the D-U-M-B-A-S-S of the week. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Something like that. I've never listened to podcasts in my life. It was was like the most amazing providential moment because the tweet that we read from Brian earlier was the tweet they were probably supposed to read, Mm -hmm. but instead they ended up reading Brian's follow-up tweet, which was absolutely glorious. And maybe, maybe we should even read it, but in it, it shares the gospel. And it essentially turns from um, this modesty sort of discussion towards masculine virtue, encouraging men to be self-controlled. And by the end, in the beginning, they're like, here, we're going we're gonna to talk to this 
about this idiot, you know, and, uh, and they're very vulgar, very but by vulgar. the end, they were like getting into it. I think they meant to mock it, but it actually stirred them. It showed the, through. towards the end. It showed through. Yeah. And that's the desire in every man, you know, is yeah. to be that man of virtue. And you could even tell that their conscience was pricked. And I think that's another thing with the men that are responding is that they know that they should not desire these things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's huge. Brian, do, do you have that pulled up? Yeah, I pulled up the thread. And this one was followed over 2 million people. I just I hadn't looked. I've seen this one. So this no, one I also a lot of people were mad 2 million at. people. I mean, this not like a nothing to throw away. It's just a throw away, Dan. <laughs> That's away. right. Yeah. Uh, because I think it was my blue check. There. No, never mind. I don't think Twitter's giving me a blue check. I don't think you're going to. So I just said uh, brief, a brief thread of exhortation. It wasn't brief narrator. It wasn't oh. brief <laughs> of exhortation to my Christian brothers in light of the absolute tsunami of sexual temptation they face every day. Brothers, you have no choice but to live in a world where even some of your professed Christian sisters parade their bottoms and breasts in front of you. I know this is the world we have no choice but to live in because every time I give common sense exhortation to Christian sisters concerning modesty, things that would have been uncontroversially obvious to most Christians living prior to the 20th century, the response is absurd. Ladies send me pornographic videos and images in my direct messages. They quote tweet my tweets with wildly inappropriate pictures of themselves. They curse and rage and say all sorts of utterly disgusting things. Some of these women are even professed Christians. They'll dress in clothing so tight as to be akin to a skim coat of latex paint over their most private areas. They'll leave little to the imagination. Some of them have no idea what they're doing. Others know full well. Either way, you and I will have to deal with it. How? And they literally read every word of this. First, by grace and through faith, you need to determine that you are not okay with a wandering eye. You're not okay with pornography of any kind ever you simply will not tolerate it whatever provocation is given to you be as radical as you must to kill the lizard which is a reference to a c.s lewis book the great divorce yeah the but, lizard sitting on your shoulder yeah, they all thought it was male genitalia so <laughs> they need to read more lewis okay because <laughs> they kept saying oh i'm gonna go kill the lizard right now and i was like guys please 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 <laughs> Repent, <laughs> repent again, back to the base <sighs> that you're appealing. Exactly. To, not bar stool. <laughs> so second, I, I kept going second, delight yourself and your wife and Proverbs five. One of the answers to the temptation of illicit sex versus one through 14 is good sex versus 15 to 23. So be intoxicated with your wife, drink water from your own cistern, flowing water from your own. Well, third, don't give into the bitter and despairing cynicism that ultimately makes it easy to throw off responsibility for yourself and cast it on the sins of the world. Yes, the world is full of women who have forgotten the face of their fathers. Yes, it is unprecedented. Yes, you live in a time when you cannot take your guard down for even a moment. Yes, it's not fair, kind, loving, or reasonable. Yes, the cowardly church has made it far worse by refusing to rebuke those sins common to women. Yes to it all. And yet you go be a glory. You go out armed with the spirit of God, a band of brothers and the scriptures, and you refuse to be manipulated by any of it. Be a glory. Be a man with high walls of self-control, a man who can't be dragged into the tar pits by any passing whore, no matter how loud the call. Be what they so often are not being and love your enemies. Love them enough to honor them even when they can't even be bothered to honor themselves. Mm. And when you fall, remember your father's mercy. I can't believe they read this part. No. He's slow to anger. He looks on Christ and pardons us. If you sin... Repent quickly and freely and Christ rememberingly. Your father is for you. He sent you an advocate and a helper and he will see you through. 
Be strong and courageous. You are the glory of God. First Corinthians 11. And they read all of that. They read it. I'm pretty sure that they read every word. They, they had to figure out what a couple words were. They were like, what does exhortation mean? And then they got it completely wrong. But yeah. I mean, it's just utterly amazing. It it really, I thought Brian, wonderful response. Um, But one of the issues it kind of drives at was this concept that number one, women don't sin, right? That's at the heart of this whole thing thing is that women are incapable of sin. And so that's a golden calf. When you're poking that one, you're going to get in trouble. But it was interesting in the original tweet too, because really we're talking about, you know, women, it's good to dress well. And people insinuated that you said that means that it's all the woman's fault when a man lusts. Oh yeah. But that's not the case, is it? No. And, and I, I got some advice from, from pastor Michael Foster the next morning uh, because he, he had that single mother's tweet that went, and I looked at it, it, it went pretty viral, but this thing was like 10 times. So I was like, Michael, what, what should I do? Any, any advice? And he was, he gave me some really good advice about how to interact with, and one of them was like, you know, quote, quote, tweet some of the more ridiculous things once or twice from the bigger accounts. They can't help but continuing to advertise for you for free. And um, so one of the ones that if you go to my Twitter thread, you'll see I quote tweeted was a woman who was saying basically that, yeah, this guy, he just makes, he, he acts like all of men's problems are women. And that's the whole issue. Condoning sexual yeah, abuse. Right. I'm like liars. They're just liars. Because if you read anything I've ever said, it, even that tweet thread, I just read out loud. I regularly make it clear that women have responsibility for themselves and men have responsibility for themselves, and each of them will answer to the Lord for what they do with it. So yeah. they're liars. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and that's one of the things that I've had to come face-to-face with in the midst of these conversations is that most of it really isn't a conversation no, uh, with these people. But what are we trying to accomplish? I think it's sort of like Paul in the midst of the mob. In the midst of the opportunity and the mob and everything that's going crazy, We're trying to clearly proclaim the name of Jesus. We're trying to speak clearly about the issues of the day, which is how we got here in the first place. Mm -hmm. And there, what we have to realize, there's a lot of other people watching. Yeah. So what was interesting in the, in, in Christendom uh, was the number of people who sent me private messages, like stand firm brothers, like, First of all, how yeah. did I get associated with this? <laughs> they just know. They're I'll tell trouble. Brian to stand It's like when firm. Professor McGonagall's like, why is it always you three? <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. That's exactly wow, right. dork. I'm sorry. I love Harry Potter. Come on. I don't. Well, I, I actually don't either. But I, <laughs> I love it because my, my children, my family love reading the, the books. And Brian does. The movies are not good. Can we move on? No. But the books are acceptable. Dan. So, Dan, I want to ask you that kind of similar question what were we talking about we're talking about brian's tweet and we're but we're also talking about <laughs> i want to know about that's this, why we're here that's why we're here <laughs> what i really want to know dan is the state what does this say about the state of our culture that something like this like i if there was twitter in 1950 i don't think this would have blown up at all but today's culture it it blows up so as you kind of examine what's going on with the culture and sexuality, maybe this is a time for Christians to realize, like I was thinking, gosh, this is what happens when for 30 years you don't preach against the pet sexual sins of the day. Like we're reaping what we're sowing culturally. 
But I just want to hear, your, you know, you're a pastor. What's your take on where we're at culturally that you can see through the lens of what happened here? Yeah, I'm going to answer your question, but it's going to take me a minute to get there. Do it. So one thing that triggered a, a thought that you said, it was in regards to uh, Doug Wilson's book, Rules for Reformers. Mm-hmm. And now this is going to sound like Brian had crafted this tweet for this moment. And like it was, it was specifically designed for this, but yeah, but it's part of, part of what, what Brian did and what Eric does regularly, you know, Eric, you do, I say you, but there's nobody knows who I'm talking about. (laughs) Eric does on his Twitter is that when you, when you tweet and when you're exhorting or you're trying to poke an idol in the eye, you're using a biblical standard, which means you've got a firm foundation. Yeah. So when people start to push, you've got better footing. Yeah. You, you can stand firm uh, because you have the best footing. You've chosen your ground, yep. which is one of the principles of war. Choose That's your smart. You really are. You're choosing the high ground. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yep. so Brian, uh, just because of the nature of what he does and what he does not tweet, had the, had the ground. He yeah. had the footing. Now, the other thing is that you're going to see it, it, with with people saying like, well, you're just saying it's the guy's fault then, you know, in a rape situation. No, no, I'm not. What they're trying to do is control the narrative. Yeah. They're trying to control the narrative, which is another thing that we're trying to do. You know, Brian, by sending a tweet out there and saying, hey, culture, especially Christian culture, mm-hmm. but because it passes through the church and beyond it and it hits it convicts everyone of sin because if it's happening in the church, it's most definitely happening outside of the yeah, church. Yeah. Right? Because like you said, uh, Brian, the, the streams flow out of the church. And so, you know, the women in the pulpits and in, in cockpits example. So if women are not dressing modestly in the church, it's most definitely happening outside of the church. And so that, that, that shot that you fired with your tweet definitely penetrated beyond the walls of the church. and what people are trying to do is trying to control the narrative, but because you have the, the high ground yeah. or you have the firmer footing to mix my metaphors, you can stand firm. And what was really interesting by the way, and I'm forgetting what your question was, but I'm just going to keep rolling. You preach preacher is that preach slay King. <laughs> no, don't say that, <laughs> especially not in the context of this conversation. Um, I lost my train of thought, but, but essentially, Oh yeah, here's what it was. Here's what it was because you have the ground, you've controlled the narrative and you have, I mean, you have the moral high ground and because you fear God and not man, you can stand in the onslaught and I mean, arms outstretched face towards the sky in a rain of glory, just continue to lob bombs on the culture. Yeah. And, and the thing is, is it's not ultimately for your glory because if it was for your glory, you can find any that anywhere on Twitter yeah, or yeah. anywhere else in the world. Yeah. But because ultimately it's, it's beyond you. You're not saying like, Hey, I'm the, I'm the uh, arbiter of truth. And no. so you should cover up your private parts. Aren't I glorious? No, no, that's, that's not ultimately the aim, the aim and the, the masculine virtue that I keep talking about of courage, uh, like William Wallace Going into battle, wow, I feel really uncomfortable talking about Brian this nicely, but but like William Wallace going into battle is that he's rallying the troops and he's going to this point and he gives a point for people to rally around. Yes. And it's not for him, it's for Scotland ultimately in this in this situation. 
it's for Scotland. And what Brian did is just, he just picked high ground. He did not fear man and he feared God. And he said, Hey, this is true. You should obey God and not man. And he also shared the gospel, by the way, to all those, um, Reformed Christians out there that are like, well, yeah, he just shared law. It's all law, man. Yeah, it's all law. I well, Barstool that, yeah. Sports just shared the gospel today. Probably yeah. with hundreds of thousands. Of hundreds people. of yeah. thousands of men. The Daily Mail, not to be independent, Yahoo, all shared word for word that tweet. They the, gospel the gospel at the end. They Every, shared the gospel. All of those outlets, millions and, of people. And so this is, uh, <clears throat> the reason that we're having a podcast is because this was actually glorious. And people are like, oh, you should be ashamed. You should be ashamed. This isn't winning. I had tweeted something about like Brian is winning essentially is kind of the summary. The Nicholas Cage gif was the cherry on top of that tweet, by the way. Yeah. And they're like, you have a strange way of winning. And to that, I was like, sir, you are very insightful. Well, actually, I, I think it brings up a good point because I was talking to some, some guys this week while that tweet was exploding and they're in the David Platt, Beth Moore camp. Hmm. And they were like, you know, I just got to say, Eric, I've never been more embarrassed about the gospel than right now. <laughs> That's like to them, it was a moment of embarrassment. Yeah. And the reason is, so it all comes down to this, because in their minds, what we're really, let's get down to brass tacks. What we're really trying to do is impress liberal intellectual elites. Yeah, with our clever cultural philosophical uh, engagements with the Hollywood cinema movie that came out last week and how it secretly portrays themes from the book of Ruth. And and the thing is guys, none of them are impressed by that. No, no and it just, doesn't it doesn't work. That's not how the gospel is proclaimed. You look at Acts, Peter gets up and he starts preaching to these people <clears throat> and he's like, "You crucified the son of God." You did it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, guilt, and, liability, and judgment. Mm-hmm. Yes, and they repented. Yep. He didn't try to win them. He tried yeah. to lose, what I, in a sense, I which think is that, the gospel. I think that's what's so huge about what we're trying to say about cultural engagement. And I was talking to Chuck Knox this week, um, and he was, he was saying this. He said, we don't have a conception as Christians of going on the offense. Like, we're always trying to play defense with the culture. Yeah. And we never have a way to be aggressive, go on the offense, a term I took from at least where I heard it with Toby Sumter, being holy troublemakers. Yeah. But I think this tweet kind of encapsulates why what we're saying is is so effective. Well, and it it made me think of one of the common Christian responses. Yeah. Because that's some of what we're talking about. And I, I see this particularly in what I would term the more Lutheran leaning side of the reformed camp, but also those who have some influence, I think from a a more of a Lutheran view of law gospel distinction. A Paul trip maybe. Yeah. And a lot of 1689 folks I see, uh, seem very concerned with this. R. Scott Clark, Michael Horton type of guy. There's a lot of them and a lot, a lot of godly ministers in, in those groups. So on, on the same team, but just, I want to assess one of their criticisms of, of this kind of thing because you'll see them. Like I see them talking in threads, uh, I'm, I'm around. I mean, your name's in it. <laughs> My so. name's in it. A lot of times I'm tagged and they'll be like, you know, in terms of the law, he's correct, but, but that's what it is. It's all law. He, he gave law and people were offended by the law. And so woohoo, this wasn't Christian. This was just law and no gospel. And I think there's three errors there. The first error is that they completely misunderstood the nature of my typical audience which 99% of the time is not millions of 
non-Christian pagans. Yeah. 99% of the time, it w- before this, it was 6,000 Reformed and Protestant Christians who follow right. me on Twitter that I regularly interact with. That's who I'm talking to. Okay, but it's a public square. So every once in a while, and I never know which tweet it's going to be, you cannot include a gospel presentation in an altar call in every tweet. There is not enough character room. So I don't know which one's going to go big. So some of them are going to be law tweets directed at the church so that one of the uses of the law in the body of Christ can take place, which is training us in righteousness, right? So they misunderstood the audience and then they assume my motives. They're wrong. The second problem is that I think functionally a lot of them end up not, they, they might affirm on paper that use of the law and even the use of the law to convict the non-believer of his need for grace. They'll say on paper that that's the case, but then when you go listen to these guys share the gospel or when you, when was the last time a lot of these guys were reviled for Christ or were hated for Christ? Because if, if you, when you tell the world you're sinners, you need the grace of Christ, Christ died for you, receive his grace. Well, unless you explain to them how they're sinners, they don't believe you. Most of them fundamentally do not believe that they're actually sinners in the, in the way of the judgment of God. It's a cultural change from many eras of history where people had an aware, more of an awareness of their guilt. Our culture doesn't believe it's guilty. So you actually do have to get particular with them. You have to say, here's, here's where you're guilty. And that's the third error, I think, is that a lot of them don't understand where the idolatries of the day are working out and where the church is therefore under attack by those idols in things like anthropology and sexuality. So they just view it as like clout chasing. Yeah. When you go out and you're like, hey, let's talk about sexual sin in the culture. They're like, you're just trying to get a reaction and get followers. And you're like, no, I'm saying that this is the equivalent today of Paul going to the Areopagus and saying, I, I perceive that you are very religious. It's the equi- so, so I think that needs to be addressed, that law gospel error that some of these guys walk into. Yeah, I think it's really huge. And I think kind of the, I want to talk about the Tim Keller tweet. We'll bring this into it. Um, he was tweeting it. Well, really, he shared a video of Stephen Colbert. So on, on the opposite side of what you're saying, um, and what we're saying about cultural engagement, we've had for, oh gosh, I don't know, 30 years now, the Tim Keller model of gospel sharing, yeah, uh, bearing witness. And the first thing that I would say about it from talking to people who've actually been on the ground at Redeemer in New York is it's utterly ineffectual. Yeah. It has not worked. You've had 30 years of a go at it. You've not produced world-shaping Christians. You've produced a lot of single people. And you produce a lot of people who are just like the world. So, yeah. so what you're saying is you're a pragmatist. I, I, I don't, I'm not. You're he, saying me? Yeah, yeah, because it didn't get the result. So it must, that must be, well, I, I think, I mean, it's not true. In some sense, you know, pragmatism gets a bad rap, but Jesus calls us to examine fruit. Mm. Right. So, mm. so like parents, like, are you a wise father? I don't know. Let me see the fruit of your family. Yeah. So that's less, I, I think it's less pragmatism and it's, it's more checking fruit, Dan. Dan just pitched that right across the plate and Eric was like, I know what to say. Fruit. I, that's Boom. not in the script. That was not scripted, fellas. That, that's, that is the correct answer I have to no script. Dan's question. I have nothing in front of me except a whiskey. <laughs> there is no script, just whiskey, which is better than a script. We'll see. We'll see. Baptists are probably mad right now. Anyway, the Baptists are mad. So You know what? I, everybody's mad. Who everybody's mad. So, I, I want to read the Tim 
Keller tweet. This is from, a, I think it was last week or something like you that. You should take wine at communion, not grape juice. Yeah, amen. 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 Mm-hmm. So <laughs> Tim Keller says this. He says, this is a brilliant example of how to be a Christian in the public square. And this sentence right here, notice the witness, but in a form the culture can handle. We should desire to have more Christians in these spaces and give them grace as they operate. So number one, I've watched this for years. Yeah. But this concept that that Keller says, in a form the culture can handle. Yeah, right. It reminds me of John the Baptist. You brood of vipers. Well, they could handle that, Eric. They can handle that. Hey, Eric, um, uh, Brian, what about the woman at the well? I mean, wasn't he really gentle there? Oh, I had a whole tweet thread that I deleted today because I was like, they don't, they won't get this. But it's the woman at the well is a perfect model of like blows up their their thing where he's like, Jesus was so he was gentle all the time. Call your husband. Which one? Which one? Oh, um, the the that you you are right in saying that you have no husband. You have had five, and the one that you were with is not your husband. Which is like a really really. Uh, prophetic, like I can, I actually know all of the hidden parts of your heart way of saying that you are an extraordinarily sexually immoral woman who under the law deserves to die. Do you think in that moment she was like, wow, I'm really grateful for a form of witness that the culture can handle. Can handle. It seemed palatable. palatable. She quickly did. She, she quickly came up with one of the funniest answers in the whole Bible. Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. (laughs) Let me ask you a theological question to change the subject. This is exactly what I mean, though, about Colbert. If you listen to his answer, he's like, you know, yeah, how does my faith affect my comedy? Well, it's like, you know, comedy is all about laughing at death and being able to come to this point where you can you can laugh at darkness and death. And Christianity is really similar. It's like all about overcoming death with light. And so, you know, I do think that my faith affects my comedy. And I'm like, wow, what a nuanced, philosophical, very rhetorically effective Answer. It sounds just like Tim Keller's preaching. That could fund basically be about Buddhism. Yes. It could be about Mormonism. Yeah. It, it could be about almost anything. Not, not, not distinctly Christian. And that's the problem. It almost always ends up failing to be distinctly Christian. Well, and, and the interesting thing, Brian, is so all these people are accusing you basically of not being Christ-like. Yeah, right. In, in the thread. Christ, one of the key things in his preaching is he's offensive. Not all the time. Yeah. Not in every... Uh, encounter that he has with people. But I think, you know, even in Luke's gospel, when they say, do you know that you've offended the lawyers? And he goes, well, I think that's offensive. <laughs> and then he doubles and down. he's like, here's another one. I don't think that, my point is here, Christ was never, an effective message was not dependent on being nuanced, nice, avoiding offense. Yeah, right. And, and you can't, this is the thing, if you're going to have an effectual presentation of the Christian gospel and the Christian scriptures, you cannot possibly, definitionally, you cannot do that apart from offense. Right. Because and, and, you got to confront sin. Yeah. And to be fair, a lot of the Christians who would criticize what I did, they would say, you're right, Brian, but what you're doing is being unnecessarily offensive in the content of what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and to which I would answer, again, that error, no, no, no. What you don't understand is that part of preaching that the world is sinful and needs Christ is that because they don't believe they're sinful, look at them, look at their answers in my tweet. They don't believe that they're guilty sexually. You actually have to explain to them 
you have, and sometimes you have to do it in graphic word pictures. Sometimes you have to do it in parables. Sometimes you look at the old Testament. God wrote a whole parable of how bad Israel was with Hosea and, and Gomer, the marrying the prostitute because Israel did not believe they were guilty. So how are they going to know that they needed to return to their Lord? Yeah. And it's interesting because so much of the, the prophetic preaching, Jeremiah, the minor prophets as well. I mean, the imagery in there is like, you know, Israel, you're like a woman at the head of the street corner with her legs spread to every man. Except usually prostitutes get paid, but you're so bad that you actually pay them. Yeah. Or the enemies of the church are like horses with their members hanging out and you're lusting after them. I mean, it's so graphic the way that God portrays their sin. And then, you know, again, in our camps, we're told, be nuanced, be nice. Mm. Talk about, you know, the light and the darkness. And yeah, use some really arty concepts so that people are like, so that, and fundamentally it's an, it's an act of narcissism because it's basically saying, look how intelligent and um, nuanced and philosophical I am. Look how well read I am. And as if you can impress the non-believer. Right. Intellectually enough that they'd be like, wow, his worldview must be really coherent. I will worship the living God. You know, Jesus, Jesus didn't even employ the strategy because he fed the, the multitudes with fish and, and bread, and they wanted to make him king. They were going to go make him king, yep. right? That seems like success. And so he ran away, and they kept following him. And so then he says, hey, everybody, if you want to see my father, you must drink my blood and eat my flesh. Yeah, John 6. And then they all left. No explanation. And he turns to his disciples, and he says, are you going to leave too? And they're like, do you have the words of life? Where are we going to go? Where are we going to go? Jesus spoke in parables, not yeah. to reveal, but to conceal. Jesus spoke in parables. There's judgment. To judge Israel. I mean, as prophesied, I think about the prophet Isaiah. But yeah. I mean, so, so a lot of Jesus' ministry was, it was, what people miss is that in order to be a ministry of salvation, it had to be a ministry of both the judgment and salvation. Right. And what they want to remove is the judgment of the law including the way that the law not condemns the church, but, but actually comes in and does convict the church of their sin so that they can, by the grace and through faith, pursue righteous living so that they could be a, you know, a city set on a hill, the Father's on display, good works on display, people see the glory of this new humanity. You know, and they just want to say, we talk about sin. Yeah, of course, everyone needs to know they're sinners, but they get so uncomfortable when you actually start naming those sins. Yeah. Woe to you who have flowery speeches and coffee shops and attractive services, but amongst you, you create no Christians. Yeah. No church discipline. There's no church discipline. No, there's no rejection of sin. And those churches are the ones that get offended when someone says, hey, hey ladies, you should wear clothes. Yeah. I mean, it, it reminds me of Jesus preaching, right? And I don't remember, it was a famous pastor, but he, he was talking about this. And he said, if your preaching is faithful, at some point, at many points during your ministry, they're going to want to throw you over the cliff. But the problem your is yeah. your people, mm-hmm. uh, the people in your congregation are going to want to do that to you. Um, and, and so much in the preaching today that we hear in the church, it's we want to do anything, you know, God whispers about homosexuality. Well, what would compel a man to say that? Clearly not the scriptures. Not Romans 1. Not Romans 1, not 1 Corinthians chapter 6. It would be a love for impressing the people of the culture. That, that would be yeah. the motivation. But, but it's interesting to me, I, I, I want to kind of flip on, on this issue and play devil's advocate here. Yeah. 
because one of the things that I see is on the one hand, you can, these tweets and what, what we do, what Brian does through Twitter can be an encouragement to the church. Right. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of people being like, be strong, brother. Keep, keep doing it. Yes. But I've said this a long time. There's a lot of people watching who are like, yes, we need to be as abrasive as humanly possible at all points. I don't think that's right, but I want to get your opinion on that. And, and tagged onto this, most people, including people in the church when we came here, they, they said to me, wow, you're like a normal guy. <laughs> I mean, I read your Twitter and, and we're not used to that kind of speech, so I just thought maybe you were an a-hole. <laughs> but again, <laughs> I, I, how, do you, how do you, what would you say to those guys who are like, yeah, let's be offensive all the time? Yeah, you know, there's a sins common to man. One of them is outbursts of anger. Um, sins common to men, lacking self-control, and so being incontinent of speech, which basically means you have diarrhea of the mouth. Diarrhea. It's yuck. another way of saying it. Is yeah. that pleasant? It uh, sounds bad. Sounds real bad. It's worse for the people receiving it. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's bad for both parties, but definitely worse if you're you know, on the other side of it. Yeah, the, so one of, the, one of the glories of biblical masculinity is that there's a kind of composure and a kind of range that he can zig and he can zag. He can, he can speak to children. He can speak to the non-Christian. He can speak to women. He can speak to his wife. He can, you know, give a, a stirring exhortation to other men. And he knows how to address a group where it's not all men. Uh, he knows when to just bring out the hammer. Pharisees. He, yes, he knows when the Pharisees show up. He's, he knows when wolves show up and he, and he's done the work and he's identified him. He doesn't coddle him. He's like, no, you not, you are done out. Yeah. It's like a benevolent Leave. King. Exactly. Or good King. Yep. He knows how to judge righteously. Yeah. You look at, uh, in the horse and his boy, uh, King, um, loon King loon is you remember that, that with Rabadash at the end yes. where he scolds his son for, you know, making a joke at the expense of this fool. Yeah. He's like, uh, you know, basically for soldiers, it's hard knocks or curt word, like uh, polite words or hard knocks. Like he's basically saying, you're either cutting his head off or you're looking him in the eye and shaking his hand. Like you, none of this effeminate, like I only have one gear. And, and some of these guys, like, you know, we've, we've all interacted with the kind of guy that he can't tell friend from foe. Yeah. He can't tell blast everybody yeah, important issue from like semi important issue from not that important issue, dude. It's all, you know, tier one nuclear. Yeah. And they have almost got a checklist. Like, do you got this? No. Until they find the thing. Something. And then they're like, okay, now we go to. <laughs> and then they anathematize your entire life, family, ministry, everything. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Eric, when you're in your ministry, because so much of what you do is you you hammer a lot because you talk to men. So a lot of the the communication that you put out is is geared in a way that men can receive and men do in droves receive. So when have you discovered in your ministry that like have you had a lot of these guys show up and kind of that you've had to back down? Like what's your experience? I'm curious what your experience is with that with that type of guy. Yeah, I would say it's a mix. I, the first thing that comes to mind actually when when you when you say that is a really good question is people assume that like I had three years of pastoral ministry and they assume I was like this masculinity preacher. Oh yeah. Right. That which that's all you did. It wasn't at all. Like yeah. I didn't talk about these issues hardly at all. Cause we were preaching through books and right. 
um, we, we honestly were part of a country church, a rural church. So the guys in your church are like coal miners and stuff. And yeah, they, they, they were like more Namby- manly than you are. <laughs> they were Namby Pambies. <laughs> they were actually the reason that I saw effeminacy from the seminary, right? Right. Um, so I think there's that part. But yeah, it definitely is a mix. You you get a mix of followers. Like there's just solid people who follow along and say yes and amen. And yep. and we want to come alongside and, and kind of learn these truths. There's been a lot of really positive stuff there. There's also the guys who are... I, we've always kind of internally, not here, but with some other pastor friends, like we've, we've referred to them as butt meat, you know, Asperger's butt meat, sort of the, like, what is going on with this type of guy? Um, it, 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 I don't know if it's like clinical Asperger's or not, but that type of content can definitely attract the guy who's like, yeah, I listen to your podcast and I'm on my fourth church and every pastor that I've talked to or been a part of i've opposed him openly and called him i've called him a heretic and a beta yeah um one of the things too is like gets lost is i'm not saying there's not progressive sanctification right i'm not saying that the church you're going to ought to be perfect or you should leave right um we're really like creating something from scripture to aim at like the ideal thing would be like come around the men in your church and try and encourage them and exhort them and do that sort of thing um and I think that would be far more beneficial than going crazy and um, attacking your leadership or something like that. Yeah. You know, on the King's Hall, I know we've, we've jotted down some notes about this. We're, we'll have to do a future episode about not confusing knowledge for mastery. Oh, man. Just such a huge, such a huge, with these guys particularly, it's a temptation for young guys. They read a book. That's what it is. They think they have mastery because they've learned something. But it's not how it works. You learn and then you embody and then you correct and then you move forward. It's a it's like I read a book. I have a book over there with people with six packs on it about that Dan lent to me uh, about weightlifting. <clears throat> and I could tell you lots of things in that book. You will notice I do not have a six pack. But it's like the guy who reads the yeah. book and he's and, and all of a sudden he's like 40 pounds overweight and he's like, hey, uh, you're you're a, your deadlift form, man, your, your back's way too round. You know, you suck. Yeah. You're the worst. What a beta. And you're like, well, what's your, ma- what's your max bro? Like 89 pounds. Like, what are you, what, what are you doing? <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> well, and that's actually the thing. Um, it, it was a good book, but Paul Tripp, um, not everything that he's put out of late is really good at all. But uh, a while back he put out a book called dangerous call. Oh yeah. Great book. It was phenomenal. And basically yeah. what he said is we mistake theological accuracy for spiritual maturity. Yeah. And seminary, you, you get guys who come out of there in particular, or maybe you're the guy who's a plumber, but you read every single theological book you can. And you think because you've read those books that you're somehow mature and ready to like, you know, confront an elder with no charges. For example. <laughs> for exa- I've never had that happen. Never. but Or confront an elder with charges and no evidence or actual understanding of the doctrines to which you are rebuking them. Just hypothetically. Hypothetical. Hypothetically. Hypothetical yeah. situation. So one of the things I want to do as we close, uh, Dan, I, I want to ask you about this from a pastoral perspective. Uh, we're going to, at the end of the day, we're going to say, look, the reason we're talking about modesty is because we love the women in our church. We love our wives yeah. uh, we, and we love the men and we want to encourage them. Look, fathers, husbands, you should be protecting your women. The way that we treat glory is to cover it and to honor it and to save that for the marriage bed in the uncovering process. So Dan, I, I'm just wondering like pastorally, 
as you think about this issue of modesty, why is it so important to you for the context of the local church? Yeah, uh, that's a good question. You know, it's it's really interesting because if this tweet had had Brian's normal, however many likes, you know, hundred some likes, and and a couple of people in our church had read it, it would been and it will be even even with all the distractions, a really good uh, reminder to ladies to be mindful because the ladies in our church have heard about modesty, yeah, and and so it'll be a good reminder for them. And for the men to make sure that they're protecting those that are under their care uh, to make sure that they are honored in being covered up. And what the reason that this is important in a small church like ours, a community of believers, a couple hundred people, is that what it's really doing is it's, it's spurring one another on to love and to honor one another yeah. and to outdo one another in showing honor. Right. And so when, when you're approaching this modesty thing, whether it's a guy or a girl, cause we didn't even talk about this is like guys that are shirtless, jacked, you know, or whatever, like cover up. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, just because this was directed at ladies doesn't mean dude should yeah, be, it doesn't mean we have nothing to say about to bare that. chested. It's just most guys aren't walking around with their backsides hanging out is it ultimately what it is, is it's to love one another and to honor one another. And one of the best ways you can do that is by not dressing for yourself because what's our only hope in life and death is that We're we not are not our own. We're not our own. Yeah. And so this, my body, my choice, I'll dress however the heck I want. Good luck. You are sinning and you're going to not help others. You're not loving others in doing that. And so yeah. as Christians, the way that we interact with one another is by thinking outside of ourselves. how do I love those that are around me and outdo one another as a competition and showing honor to one another. And one of the ways we do that is by the way we dress. And that, that goes beyond just like covering up. That's even like dressing for right occasions, Yeah, you know, which is that's, yeah. that, I mean, that's just being uh, aware, but it's, it's, it's showing love to one another is ultimately what this is. Yeah. Is, is just by honoring one another. I think that's huge. Um, you know, first Corinthians six, 19 and 20, you are not your own for you are bought with a price. Uh, Paul reiterates this in first Corinthians seven. We really, that whole notion of my body, my choice could not be more non, you know, unbiblical, non-Christian thought. Uh, one thing I want to do as we close here, I'm going to play a message that we got. (laughs) <laughs> here we go from the church. And then I want to, I want to get your take and then we will wrap this episode up. I promise. Maybe. Hi, I uh, just, I'm a concerned Christian and I just wanted to call in and check what pastor Brian is wearing right now. I just, I really feel he strongly feel this is my business and the business of the general public. So I just wanted to make sure he's not wearing anything <laughs> sinful, like a thong or, or chaps or like a little teddy or like gotcha. lace bondage gear or something, you know, or like mixed fabrics. Cause you know, that verse in Leviticus that says we're not allowed to wear polyester. So I just, you know, men sin too. So I wanted to just call and make sure he was wearing appropriate things. All right, I'll be calling in tomorrow to check in again. Have a great day. God bless. I'm really disappointed he actually did not call back. He didn't call back? No, I was thinking about calling him. Yeah, I I wanted to check. You said you're going to check in. I appreciate the accountability, and I just... He seemed upset. He he definitely... He he sounded like a... 
Was it uh, Josh Ladd who's in all the Disney movies now? I don't know if you can assume his gender. Oh, yeah, that's a good point. I'm probably not allowed to do that. Ooh, sorry. Yeah, can you issue an apology? I'll have Joe call you and help you. Yeah. But, but Brian is wearing khakis. <laughs> yeah, I'm wearing... I could not be on. dressed more like a boomer. <laughs> Dan was like earlier, Brian, if you had a phone clip on your belt... I, guys, I'm wearing a maroon polo, tucked in, khaki pants. Uh, I have you know, slight love handles, just, just a little bit, working on it. And um, it's, it's just... It's, what about your mixed fabrics? It's not going to cause anybody to... You can wear polyester, by the way, effeminate man. You can wear polyester. Yeah. It's the poly cotton where you have the issue. That's right. I was going to make that clarification yeah. too. If, yeah. if if we're going to be, uh, you know, what's what's the word that Paul uses in Galatians? Uh, uh, Judaizers. Yes. yes. <laughs> he needs to do a little bit more work on his uh, systematic theology. I would say. Yeah, but we we do appreciate the message. Yeah, I appreciate it. Final question, Brian, for you. Uh, as you're talking to men, one of the things that people Dan mentioned this just a second ago. But as people are dunking, yeah, you know, people think they're dunking on you. They're like, oh, yeah, well, men shouldn't work out shirtless. And my immediate response is like, I agree. Yes, Chad meme. Yes, yeah, Chad me- meme. Yeah, um, my, my general conviction, and you could read Jeff Pollard's The Public Undressing of America to see a biblical case for this, is that men and women should generally be covered from knee to the, you know, collarbone neck area. So whenever people do that, I'm like, yes, moving on. I agree. Your terms are acceptable. Your terms are yeah, acceptable. I, I also don't think that men should be peacocking around either. Oh, yeah. Well, do you believe a woman should have her head covered in worship, Brian? Chad meme, yes. Chad yes. meme, yes. Uh-huh, yeah. Insert Chad meme, yes. All of our wives wear head coverings in, fact, in worship. In fact, shout out to Sassy Seminarian because she at least is big on head coverings. So she's at least got that. She's not big on me, you know, all the time. I get the impression but you know what, Sassy Seminarian, if you listen to this, good for you. Good for you. Good for you listening to 1 Corinthians 11. Genuinely respect that. Awesome. Well, gentlemen, I appreciate you being on the podcast, and I'm looking forward to the King's Hall, which is oh, coming next week. It's going to be great. It will be something, and great will be one of those things. <laughs> <laughs> great will be one of those things. Awesome. Well, we'll talk to you guys next week. All right, this has been the Hard Men Podcast. Eric was trying to end the podcast without my permission. <laughs> Don't forget, this is now my pot. This is my, my podcast. Brian has claimed All it. All right, so now it's over. Okay, you got to do the official close then. Do you uh, know it? I, stay frosty. Stay frosty. You have to say, stay frosty, fight the good fight, fight the good act fight. like men. Okay. Go. Oh. Stay frosty, fight the good fight, act like men. Okay. Eric Khan, out. <laughs> out. We can officially close now. Thank you, Brian. Can we be done? <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>